Generation Mix. Hello and welcome to Generation Mix. This is the podcast where a father and a son review the CDs that the dad's been making for the son for many years now. I'm the dad, I'm Neil. I'm the son, I'm Joel. And if you picked up on our musical clue, then you may have worked out that we are listening to... Classical. Yep, classical music. So what you actually heard was a snippet of something that will be coming up a little bit later. Mm -hmm. This is a compilation of a whole range of classical style. So it's not, strictly speaking, purely classical, because that is... Some of it is, but technically most of it's... A good amount of it will be Baroque and Romantic, yeah. and there might be some modern classical. I haven't looked through it in a while. Yeah, it depends what classifies as modern classical. So I know there's something from 1902, and I think, I think one of the most famous pieces on here is from the 1930s. So, yes, possibly. Okay. But let's kick off with... One of my favourite pieces of classical music. I think I included this in my top 100 pieces of music of all time when we did our YouTube channel on Pock and Rop. If I didn't, I should have done. This is the Prelude from Carmen by Bizet. First section, but it is it, no, it's the first section repeated. Yes, so, so that the, the stirring, no, no, okay. it's, the same, it's the same tempo, but it has that absolutely second, two absolutely, yeah, I know, banging I... tunes in that one prelude. They are used throughout the opera, and Carmen might, if there is such a thing, be my favorite opera. <laughs> I don't listen to opera very often, but oh, that's a beautiful piece of music. You interrupted me though, yeah. Because you haven't got anything to say. Yes, I do. I was going to say that it might be in sonata form, then. A, B, A, but the second A is developed. Okay. And the, and the, the second B is slower. The, no, the first, the B is slower than the, the A. Well, they're actually the same tempo all the way through. Well. But it, it's, it's more flowing. So moving on to our second pick, which is... Quite probably the oldest piece on here. So this is this is pre Bark and and J S Bark is Baroque. Yep. So this is actually probably pre that, and it is Pachelbel's Canon in D, which we have things to say about <laughs> as you've, after you've listened to a little bit of it.
I will play it if you force me, even though it deeply bores me. Yes. Well, it doesn't actually bore me, but... It's, well, it's, for some people, they think it is one of the most boring pieces of classical music ever, because it is the same piece cycled over and over with extra things added on and then taken away. That's, used extensively at weddings. That's like, very normal, having it developed. It is, but it the is... The same thing it, developed. It is, it is a very simple chord progression. Yes, sir, it is. There's a doobie 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 line yeah, and the line of the doobie 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 filling my brain with the doobie 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 Thank you, John. So... This has gained an extra level of interest in our house, thanks to John Finnemore mm-hmm. and his souvenir programme. When in series one, he did a skit all about the only thing people know by Pachelbel is his canon. And he wrote a Toccata, he wrote a Sonata, all that kind of thing. And a minuet. But in all anybody wanted was his... Pachelbel in... Was his canon. Canon, indeed. And then at the end of the episode, they revisit the sketch... And they are playing canon, and he puts lyrics over the top of it. Yes, here they come, here the dooby 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 doobies, and all line after line, the dooby 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 doobies filling my brain with the dooby 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 doobies drives me insane with the dooby 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 doobies. Yeah, and it's just so, it's so funny, isn't it? Yeah, it, it it's really really good. He then did it live. One thing you haven't said, Joel. Mm-hmm. Is whether or not you actually like it. Well, yeah, of course I like it. <laughs> so far, it's two for two. This is certainly a step up from the last episode with Coldplay, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is timeless. Coldplay is just time theft. Hmm. So, moving forward then onto our third track. This is from a ballet called Romeo and Juliet. By a Russian composer, Prokofiev, this is a massively famous piece. This is Montagues and Capulets. It's stirring, it's dark, it's brooding, it's the Apprentice theme tune. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. And it's Montagues and Capulets by Prokofiev. And like I say, I, I said there was stuff from the 20th century on this. Hmm? This was written in the 20th century. And I said he was Russian, which is true. At the time, he was also of the Soviet Union. So it's, it's that reason. The Soviet Union only collapsed in 1989 during my lifetime. So this, although he was well dead by the time I ever heard this, he died in 1953, this feels like classical music within touching distance. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's recent, and yet it's, it's ancient at the same time, based around the story of Romeo and Juliet and the families of the Montagues and the Capulets. And it just describes that warlike state that the families are in. The next piece is from a choral work, and when this was first premiered in front of the monarch, who I believe at the time was King George I, he stood up at this point 
And as a result, it's become a tradition to stand up whenever this part of the of the of the piece is reached. It's the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. Maybe if we'd seen it in context in a concert, we we might because this is often trotted out at Christmas time. I just I think it's a bit boring. It's not a Christmas piece. Oh no, definitely not. But it is trotted out at Christmas time. Its words are taken directly from the Bible. Do you know where? No. The revel. It's from the Book of Revelation, okay. and it's right towards the end. And it's the bit where the Basically, the, the financial system of the world has just completely and utterly collapsed. And that's the Hallelujah Chorus. So when people are listening to the Hallelujah Chorus, they're celebrating the, the death of the financial system of the world. <laughs> Good, isn't it? Yeah. Does that change your opinion? No. no. Uh, <laughs> I get what you mean. It's, I think it's a piece that needs to be heard in context for it to have its real power. That... I think he said letting However, there's a great YouTube out there that we've seen, isn't there? With the silent monks. Yeah. Now, we can't link a YouTube in the way that we're talking, so I'll put a link in the description of the podcast for you to go and follow. But this is it's delightful. You've got these silent monks and they're using signs and holding up the words or syllables of the song. And it's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. And it's cleverly done. It, it's Definitely. good fifteen years old, but it's one of the most enjoyable YouTube videos out there. So delightful. Our next piece is our theme. Mm-hmm. So this is from a suite of music written for a play by Ibsen called Pierre Gint. It's by Edvard Grieg. And this is almost like a, a piece of classical music, pop music really. It's in the Hall of the Mountain King. And there's a doodle chaos for this one. There's definitely a doodle. There's a, there's a doodle chaos for the first one, I'm sure. I don't know the play. I I don't know the context particularly. But I get a, in, I imagine goblins and pixies with this <laughs> piece of music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that might be what it's intended to represent. But it has that feel about it. It's a oh, joyful piece of music. And... 
The reason I can say it's almost like pop music is because once upon a time I owned a copy of uh, the CD of Erasure's album, The Circus. And one of the bonus tracks was a live version that they played of In the Hall of the Mountain King. So it's kind of poppy. We now come to my personal all-time favourite piece of classical music. This is in my top ten pieces of music or songs of all time. And you're probably going to dislike it or find it boring, but it's so not. I adore this. This is Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. No, it's better it's than all right. A bit slow, a bit boring, but it's fine. it's atmospheric, Joel. It was fine. Then there's that massive crescendo, full orchestra at the end after a brilliant piano work. And George Gershwin is, alongside his brother, one of the greatest 20th century songwriters, and they they used to write stuff for musicals and stage shows. But he turned his hand to proper classical works like Rhapsody in Blue and and and. It's just, and, and the opera, Porgy and Bess. And Rhapsody in Blues just takes me away every time. I I love it. E- even the full 16-minute version. That was the shortened five-minute version from a CD that came out in 1989 called mm-hmm. The Classic Experience, where quite a lot of things were edited down to be shorter. But I love the full version of it, as well as the, the short five-and-a-half-minute version. We come at last to probably the best-known Classical composer. Who would you say that is? Uh, Mozart. Yeah, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Actually, for the entirety of how you're putting classical, which includes Romantic classical and Baroque, I might say Beethoven. Well, Beethoven was also classical. Like Mozart and Beethoven were both classical. Beethoven was a crossover between classical and Romantic. So... I I would personally say that I think Beethoven was the best, the best known, I think, is Mozart, as a result of things like the 1984 film Amadeus. And I'm pretty sure this will have featured in Amadeus. It is the Allegro movement, which I think is the first one, of his Eine Kleine Nacht music. It's going to be pretty fast. Correct.
listen to 10 seconds of it to jog less, my memory. Less no, it says 11 seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> and even just from that, I could then hum it out loud because dad and then dad complained at me uh, for, for, about, for about another minute. The, t- the rest of the tune because it's so memorable and well known iconic Eternal. yeah yeah maybe for once you have correctly used the term iconic I always correctly use the term iconic you've sung Mozart though as well haven't you I have done Requiem you've sung his Requiem one of his Requiems he has many Requiems apparently on to our next track and this one does actually have lyrics we are going to a piece from a Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert and Sullivan. I didn't tell it. We're going to a piece from a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, which is the Pirates of Penzance, which is probably my favourite. And this is when a felon's not engaged in his employment. <laughs> When a felon's not engaged in his employment, his employment or maturing his felonious little plans, his, his capacity for innocent enjoyment, enjoyment is just as great as any honest man. Our feelings we will difficulty smother when constabulary duties to be done. I'll take one consideration with another. with another A policeman's lot is not a happy one oh, When it comes to duty duties to be done I will give you that. I've I've never liked that kind of incredibly slow operatic singing, as if I don't know, but uh, yeah, I've never particularly liked that kind of style. But I understand why you may not like it, and that one was a very slower one. And I I personally really like the whole of Pirates of Penzance. So let's move on to more traditional fare, perhaps. Given that Gilbert and Sullivan was of the late Victorian era, we're going to go back a little bit in time to a piece by Franz Liszt. You may recognise this from something else. It is Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2. It's at its best in the context which you first encountered it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which is played on piano by a cat from the Cat Concerto, Oscar-winning cartoon featuring Tom and Jerry. And it's just, it's the best adaptation of the entire piece of music. Well, the thing is, 
would always find myself putting on into, if I wanted to listen to something instrumental with no lyrics mm. I would always find myself going to game or film music before uh, before classical because I have a much greater enjoyment of the medium surrounding it as well as the music right so I just Maybe we should get you to some concerts. That's why I'm not all that excited by the classical stuff. Oh well, let's go to something grim. What? Dance Macabre by Camille Sanson. Does that music make you think of anything in particular, or evoke anything? Not really. I was just listening to it, trying to work out what period it's from. I'd say it's probably from the Romantic era. I was going to say classical, because in terms of... No, I think song song. It's definitely not era. Baroque, because there's a lot of dissonant harmony. Right. And that's not very common in Baroque, even though strings are clearly the main instrument in that, as they were in Baroque. But also, percussion is only, it's the only percussion I could hear was timpanis, and by Romantic Era they added more percussion into the percussion section. But then it also depends what the piece of music was intended to convey. Well, yeah, but... And it's meant to convey the dance of death. Sanson did a piece that you do know, because you keep trying to play it on the piano. I haven't played. Play? I haven't played Elephant in probably close to a year. But you kept trying to play it, and so like I could play a piece of music. <laughs> and it's not that I kept. Tr- I was trying to play it. I could play it. that's from his Carnival of the Animals. Thank you. Okay. 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 Yeah. So did he do Swan as well? He did the swan, he also did fossils. We're back to Mozart for our next piece. I will tell you the specific reason I included this, and I might include a little bit on the on the podcast a little bit later on of, of, of where I first encountered this piece of music, which again had lyrics added to it. But it doesn't normally have lyrics. This is Mozart's Horn Concerto in E flat. <laughs> It is fun, it's fast, it's 
a rare piece where the French horn takes yeah. the lead and shows what a fun instrument it can be. And I was introduced to it as a result of one of my favourite comedy song duos, Flanders and Swan. Michael Flanders put words to that, which I still know all of them. <laughs> I once had a whim and I had to obey it to buy a French horn in a second and shop. I polished it up and I started to play it in spite of my neighbours who begged me to stop. Who swiped that horn? I bet you a quid. Somebody did. Knowing I found a concerto and wanted to play it. Afraid of my talent at playing the horn. For early to date, to my utter dismay, it had vanished away like the dew in the morn. Tootie. that horn I know I was using it yesterday I've lost that horn lost that horn found that horn gone the stock I chose to I know some hearty folk whose party jokes pretended to hunt with the corn gone away gone away it's just absolutely brilliant really really funny and I've toyed several times with doing you a daddy's introduction to comedy songs yeah. and I may yet do that in the future if I do you can bet I will include Ill Wind well there's already sort of one coming up yeah but that's a very different it's a very thing. particular it's about 50% music <laughs> yeah. this would be all comedy songs I've got so many I mean now that I've got a record player that's got a USB connection I can probably record those those things that I've got on vinyl that are not available in any other format onto MP3 yeah, and stick them on a CD for you. I would, I, you know, I think I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to do it because comedy songs can be so good. On to our next piece. And this is by Beethoven. Yeah. We already touched on Beethoven a little bit on this discussion. I do think Beethoven is the greatest composer of all time. This is Piano Sonata number 14. so sad so anybody listening to this podcast who knows anything about music will have been shouting at their podcast player sonata 14 it's moonlight sonata which oh is, yeah it's the moonlight sonata but it's official title is sonata number 14 on the last beatles one we did beatles volume 2 which should be episode number 31 if you want to go back and listen to that I included a track from Abbey Road called Because. Yeah. Because is effectively the tune of Moonlight Sonata backwards. Okay. From what I've been t heard is that Lennon reversed that and then wrote Because. For me, the track Because is Lennon's last 
great contribution to the Beatles. I personally don't rate the last song that they ever recorded all of them together, which was I Want You, She's So Heavy. I, I think his last uh, so great contribution was Because. Is it not uh, one that came out last year? Oh, good, good point. Now oh. and Then. Because is better than Now and Then. Now, now and Then is not a good song. It may have been my second favourite song of the year, but that's more the meaning of it and the fact that it exists in the first place rather than the fact that it's, a good, it's not a good song. Because it's a good song, Now and Then isn't. Okay. From one piano piece to another, and I decided, as we were covering quite a wide range of that broad band of classical music, to go ragtime, and this is Scott Joplin's The Entertainer. on the piano yeah ragtime involves syncopation with the left hand so it's playing something very different to what the right hand's doing timing wise and it just sounds incredible very hard to play ragtime music properly really hard I can't do it Ruth can play the main tune but the... I can play the main tune with accordion but I can't do what's required in the left hand because it's incredibly complicated and the entertainer I think may have been possibly the second piece of sheet music to ever sell a million copies. Because the first was also by Scott Joplin, and I think came out the year before. The next piece is returning to a little bit of opera. Oh no. <laughs> but it's good opera. It's okay. fun opera. This is Largo al Factotum by Rossini better known as Figaro. Figaro, 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 Figaro,
Because this doesn't have this doesn't have that the was fun in English, lyrics, and this was in Italian. Yeah, okay. It doesn't have this doesn't have the fun lyrics. I don't know. All the Figaro's are quite good fun. Figaro, 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 Figaro. Yeah, but they're not they're not funny lyrics. And well, they might be. They're in yeah, Italian. Exactly. I think it's but a like, comedic opera, The Barber of Seville. I don't know. I've never listened to The Barber of Seville. I just like the Figaro bit. <laughs> okay. Gosh, what a heathen. We're going to move now to something else from the 20th century. This was, again, I think 1904, 1905, something like that. And it's Edward Elgar. You must have heard of Edward Elgar. Probably. Well, we've been to Malvern, which is where he was from. And there's loads of stuff about Elgar around Malvern, because they're very proud of the fact that one of England's premier composers came from there. Words have been put to this piece of music... And apparently Elgar wasn't particularly happy about it. This is Pomp and Circumstance March number one. That's England's unofficial national anthem. Unofficial? Well, when you were singing along with that bit, it was like, land of hope and glory, yeah. mother of the free. That's something an American would say about their country, not something a British person would Funnily say about enough, their country. the Americans stole it. the tune, okay. and it's their graduation anthem used in colleges all over America. Well, they didn't nick the tune, they used the yeah, song. they nicked the tune. It's Land of Hope and Glory. Apparently, 
Elgar wasn't happy about Land of Hope and Glory being written to his tune. But it's, as a result... Suck it, it up. It's <laughs> jingoistic. It totally fits the whole idea of pomp and circumstance because, quite frankly, and I'm, I'm pleased to be English, as a nation, we're a bit up ourselves. <laughs> Nowhere near as much as America. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to all you American people. I'm sure you're very nice. Just if you are listening to this and you're American, you have my sympathy. Just patriotism um, is a, a much bigger thing in America than it is here. Yes, they're very, very patriotic about their flag. They have a pledge of allegiance. Exactly. Back to Mozart. Yeah. Okay. And this is Turkish Rondo. Very nice. Good. I don't really know what much to say. See, I think that's got quite a Ottoman or Byzantine feel to it. That's why it's called a Turkish rondo. It's obviously styling itself after the, the Turkish music of the time, which will have been like 1780s, probably. You must have heard something that had come from there and then wrote Turkish rondo. I like Turkish rondo a lot. I think it's all right. Next piece is exceptionally dramatic. It's from another opera. The opera this is from is from the Ring Cycle by Wagner, and this is the ride of Wagner. Very, I don't know what, how to describe it. Heavy? Heavy, yeah, okay. Heavy is a good word to describe Richard Wagner's music. Mm-hmm. And I've been to the Wagner Museum in Bayreuth in Germany. I can't say Wagner is something that I listen to a lot of. I do like the Ride of the Valkyries. I like the Overture, I think, from Tristan and Isolde. But it's a bit gloomy as a kind of music, and yeah, it's all in German. I and I don't dislike the German language. I learnt German, but I yeah. There's there's also some unsavoury views that Richard Wagner held, mm-hmm. um, and let's just enjoy his music and not so much his. 
potentially unsafe reviews. He was apparently he was Hitler's favourite composer. He was dead that's by what this I, point. That's what I was going to He say. was dead by that point, so it's not Richard Wagner's fault, the fact that Hitler liked I was, him, I, I was considering saying something about Hitler. So after but. that dark and gloomy track, and dramatic, it's probably a good idea to slow things down and go something more restful for our final track on this CD, which is... Barber's Adagio for Strings. Nice and pretty. Restful. Yeah. I had this on a double CD called Evening Adagios. It's basically meant to be restful and peaceful and arguably a bit boring. (laughs) I used to really like it. I now find other classical music to be more interesting. So that was the classical volume one. It is time for my revenge. I've decided to go for an instrumental piece from a video game. Okay. It's from Kingdom Hearts, which is a series I'm known aware for of its Kingdom music. Hearts. Yeah, but the, the series is known for its music. In Kingdom Hearts 2, there's a song called Dearly Beloved, which is very pretty. You won't like it because it's quite thin textured and slow. I just have a feeling you won't like it because it's not interesting enough. And it is again. Compared to a lot of the other stuff on this CD. Uh, And it is Dearly Beloved. delicate yeah you did like it I did quite like it <laughs> it wasn't bleep bloop like I was expecting game music to be that is when you think of bleep bloop in game music that's very early that's either very early games or a stylistic choice like it is in Megalovania 
Yeah, this is why you want to do, or why you wanted to do game music, isn't it? Yeah. Things like that. This Reach for the Summit from Celeste. The Halo theme. I suppose you could say that were some of the composers we looked at around and alive today, this is the kind of thing that they would be scoring. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of commissions that they would take on. So whoever composed that, kudos. It was quite pleasant. I mean, is it just a standalone piece of music or is it actually married to what's going on on the screen or is it over credits? What? I haven't actually played Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, so uh, you just like the music. Okay, fair enough. It is in Kingdom Hearts 3, but only in... it is, And it is over the top of what's happening. Well, yeah, it was or, perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And totally in keeping with what we've been looking at this episode. So, that concludes this episode of Generation Mix. Now, the next episode is going to be very different. Because Joel has been itching to do this for some time. <laughs> so, we are deviating from the standard episodes of CDs that I've created that Joel has barely listened to. Well, and reviewing them. And he is reversing. We're doing a role reversal, which will be what the bonus series, I guess, will be called. Every so it'll be every a bonus four, episode. Every, like, five or six episodes, whenever, we'll, I'll make you listen to one of my CDs for a change. Which means that the musical clue, theoretically at least, should be Joel trying to play an instrument and me doing the <laughs> generation mix vocal for a change. Yeah, I don't but think you that's, can't play that's a good idea. Can you? Play bass, but... <laughs> Barely. Actually, with the one coming up, there are two songs I can play on bass, but uh, I don't think they would fit with the term. Cross-promotion time. I've already mentioned it. My YouTube channel, Pock and Rock. Please head on over. There will be a link in the description of this podcast. And we'll be back soon with our next episode with this role reversal listen out for some form of musical clue yep but until next time this is generation mix signing off bye bye generation mix